Welcome to the Deep and Durable Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gray, a veteran of nearly 45 years in higher education. My goal has always been to transmit my love of learning to as many people as possible, and this podcast is one vehicle to do that. In my teaching career, I taught biology to over 10,000 students. Many of them remarked that I taught them how to think. This podcast aims to do the same for my listeners. Join me for Season 5, which will develop your ability to ask the kinds of questions that lead to deep and durable learning. Humans are born curious. The curiosity of a baby is a wonder to behold. First with the eyes and ears, and later through crawling and even tasting, they relentlessly explore their environment. Their exploration is not satisfied by their sensory experiences. Sensation is a means to the end of detecting patterns that begin to make sense of the world. Patterns are named, leading to language acquisition. Language allows toddlers to ask questions, and why becomes a dominant theme for the healthy two-year-old. Asking why anticipates a cause-and-effect answer, which puts existing concepts into service and creates new concepts as well. Questioning is a primary attribute of beginner's mind, and question asking is focal in developing learner's mind in adults. If you're not familiar with learner's mind, I developed many of its dispositions last season on this podcast. What I did not develop is this emphasis on question asking. I saved that for this season. Last season, I encouraged my listeners to create space for focused exploration. Adults tend to overemphasize searches of their existing knowledge base when they're puzzled. The adult emphasis on efficiency tends to discount the value of exploration. Focused exploration recognizes the need for new perspectives and new concepts. The ideal way to focus exploration is by generating questions. Humans are wired to seek answers to questions, especially how and why questions. Questions are the rocket fuel of exploration. They propel learners. A 2022 book, If Nietzsche Were a Narwhal, by Justin Gregg, contrasts human and animal cognition. Greg repeatedly calls humans why specialists, end quote. He says, quote, humans' why specialist thinking offers us two cognitive skills that animals like betongs, a group of small wallabies, lack, imagination and understanding of causality. Greg's main thesis in the book is that these human distinctives are actually what get us into trouble. Greg thinks we would be better off if we just noticed patterns and 
did not care about why the patterns are there or how we might use them. I disagree with Justin Gregg's thesis, but I agree that asking why is a human distinctive. This defining human attribute is a positive, not a negative. An indicator that we have not fully embraced learner's mind is the willingness to shrug off the pursuit of causality. This is common among both adults and adolescents when they utter, It is what it is. Many have abandoned the law of non-contradiction. That is, two contradictory things can't both be true. So, they say, something doesn't make sense. Well, lots of things don't make sense in this world. Walt Whitman, in Song of Myself, actually embraced cognitive incongruity when he said, quote, Do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. End quote. In today's podcast, I want to explore the kind of proposition that establishes causality. Propositions are assertions that connect concepts. Principles are propositions that answer how and why questions. Principles are the power tools of thinking. Exploration is really a quest for principles that unlock understanding. Principles satisfy our need for things to make sense. When something makes sense, we don't have to struggle to remember it or to use it in future learning or problem solving. I am using principle in a restricted sense. Unfortunately, there's been a great deal of dithering over the centuries in the way principle is used. Originally, a principle was, quote, a fundamental concept in a science, end quote, and was later broadened to mean more generally the, quote, origin, source, or first cause, end quote. And still later, it came to mean a fundamental truth or proposition on which others depend, a general statement or tenet forming the basis of a system of belief. End of quote. All of these from the Oxford English Dictionary. I maintain that a cognitive principle, as I'm using the term, has four attributes. Two of these have already surfaced in this brief exploration of the etymology of the word principle. These first two distinctives are, one, principles are propositions. They tie concepts together in a way that makes an assertion. And two, principles are broadly applicable. This is explicit in the OED's definition quote, a general statement or tenet forming the basis of a system of belief. It's implicit when the OED says it is, quote, a fundamental truth or proposition on which others depend, end quote. Another way of saying this is that principles are 
foundational. Principles are propositions that answer how and why questions. A simple way of stating this third attribute is that principles are explanatory. They establish causality. They make sense, which is another way of saying that through principles we understand. Understanding means our curiosity has been satisfied. As why specialists, we have achieved our learning goal, at least for the present. In the D-I-K-U-W taxonomy of epistemology that I developed in Season 1, D for data, I for information, K for knowledge, U stands for understanding. And there's only one more level beyond understanding, and that is W. W stands for wisdom. Wisdom points to the future. What are you going to do now that you understand? How does understanding help you solve problems and make wise decisions? This is part of the power of a principle. The fourth attribute of a principle is that they're predictive. Principles are meant to be applied and not just collected. Prediction is on two levels. The first level is the logical inference from the principle to other contexts. This is near-term prediction. It is deductive in the form of if Establish the principle here as the starting point for the if. Then, in a particular context, blank will be the result. Since the World Cup recently concluded, let's take the offsides rule in soccer and evaluate whether a particular player was offsides in a particular instance. Perhaps you rightly respond that offsides is a rule and not a principle. My response is that there is a principle underneath the offsides rule. That's why there's sometimes disagreement between fans and referees about whether a particular run at a goal could be properly nullified with an offsides penalty. The offside rule seems concrete, if a bit opaque. Quoting here from an authoritative soccer source, Quote, a player is in an offside position if any part of the head, body, or feet is in the opponent's half, excluding the halfway line, and any part of the head, body, or feet is nearer to the opponent's goal line than both the ball and the second-last opponent. End of quote. There are, however, three traditional exceptions to a rigid interpretation of the rule. I'll give you one here and link to the others in my blog. Quote, Even if a player doesn't get the ball, that player can be offside. The officials must judge if the player without the ball is involved in the play in some way, for example, by challenging for the ball, or, say, obstructing the goalkeeper's vision. 
In that case, the player would be judged offside despite not having touched the ball. End of quote. So on what basis are these judgment calls rendered? They're rendered based on a principle of which the offside's rule is but one manifestation. Now, what is the principle? I think it is the principle of competitiveness. Competitiveness in a contest is maximized when there's fair play. This is sometimes characterized as a level playing field. A compact statement of the principle is important. Constructing a pithy statement of the principle is an appropriate cognitive challenge because it demands mental clarity. Pithy principles are also memorable. So here's one formulation of the principle of competitiveness. This is mine. Practices which systematically reduce the competitiveness of a game must be outlawed. This is a cause-effect statement. It explains when rules will need to be constructed so as to maintain fair play and maximize competitiveness. In soccer, the principle addresses the need to avoid cheap goals. Here's the rationale, as explained by a soccer authority. Quote, The offside was constructed to deter players from always lurking near the opposition goal to look for scoring opportunities. Without the offside rule, long balls could be kicked directly toward teammates placed in the opposition goal area and would prove to be too effective, thereby reducing the element of skill and strategy in football, that is, soccer games. End of quote. The same basic principle is in place with the three seconds rule in basketball, which was created to keep players from parking themselves under the basket indefinitely, waiting to make easy shots. Instead, players are forced to keep moving and dart through the key, periodically hoping for a timely pass. The so-called Four Corners offense, used by the Wiley coach Dean Smith of UNC Chapel Hill, was basically a game of keep-away, using skilled ball handling to keep the ball out of the hands of the opposing team. It led to very low-scoring games, which were not fun to watch. The shot clock was created in the 1980s to minimize the length of time one team could keep the ball without having to shoot. The shot clock is an application of the principle of competitiveness. The principle is propositional, broadly applicable, and explanatory in terms of cause and effect. So, rules should be based on principles, but the rules themselves are not the principles. Big Ideas are another area of potential confusion. Big ideas are important. They're take-home lessons, important summary statements. 
It would be an improvement to most instruction if the big ideas were emphasized front and center and not buried in a haystack of information. However, many big ideas are not principles. The usual problem is a failure of a big idea to explain. That is, it doesn't deal with causation. For example, Mark Twain is reputed to have said, History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. This big idea is propositional. It makes an assertion, after all, that there are patterns. It is broadly applicable to all of history. It is predictive in the weak sense that it asserts that there will be parallels between current events and events in the past. Where it fails altogether is that it doesn't deal with causation. Because of this, it is not a principle. It is a useful aphorism that invites observers to look for parallels. Whether finding a parallel produces any leverage in the present is another matter. As George Santayana said, quote, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it, end quote. Now let's move back to prediction as an element of a principle. We've considered the near-term implications of a principle in a particular context. These are logical inferences. Even more important is the ability to use the principle to predict long-term consequences. This is often what we mean when we refer to wisdom. Wisdom has been called the best means to the best ends. This involves a projection into the future. This long-term future may be affected by interventions we make in the near term based on application of the principle. Some call this long view, second-order thinking. The Hippocratic Oath implores physicians, first of all, do no harm. What this means is that current interventions have consequences that ripple into the future, and some of them may cause unintended harm. An example of this is a family friend who had innovative heart surgery as a child to correct a serious problem. After several decades of health, this young mother had to have a liver and a kidney transplant because the surgery damaged these organs over time through elevating the blood pressure of circulation to just these organs. These unintended, physician-induced consequences are termed iatrogenic, I-A-T-R-O-G-E-N-I-C. As we project the long-term consequences of a principle, it's appropriate to consider Chesterton's fence. G.K. Chesterton in 1929 illustrated the application of an idea that encounters a barrier. Quote, Let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. A more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let's clear it away. 
To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, If you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then, when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. This takes us back to understanding as a prerequisite to prediction. In this case, the learner needs to understand why the fence was put there before they can evaluate whether the conditions now allow it to be removed. If you want to explore principles in greater depth, I suggest you read Chapter 5 in my book, Unforgettable, Enabling Deep and Durable Learning, which is available through Amazon and a variety of other sources. Principles are formulated as the culmination of a quest that curiosity initiated. Principles answer the how or why questions that we're hardwired for. Principles satisfy our desire to understand deeply so that we can live wisely. Because principles are broadly applicable, a a small number of principles govern many specifics. This simplification empowers us to solve groups of related problems and devote more time and energy to thinking about implications and consequences. Principles are powerful because they're purposely constructed by individual learners to answer how and why questions that matter to them. This personal recognition of patterns is the only means of achieving deep understanding. If you want to think through a few more examples of principles and evaluate the application of the four attributes of a principle, I invite you to visit the blog that accompanies this podcast. There, you can access the text of today's podcast, and as well, you can communicate with me. You do all this by visiting deepanddurable.com deepanddurable.com. This season is all about harnessing the power of questions. Principles answer how or why questions, but there are many other important kinds of questions. It's crucial that you learn how to formulate questions because they will power your deep learning process. Join me in two weeks as I begin to build a logic of questions.